Filmmakers make films, but films make filmmakers. From blockbuster premieres to grindhouse theaters, late night cable to the local video store, there is no greater classroom for aspiring filmmakers than cinema itself. Join your host, Eric Skorzynski, as he dives deep into the minds of legendary directors, producers, actors, and more to discover their biggest influences and to explore the impact their films are leaving behind. This is Film School. Grab your popcorn. Class is about to begin. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Film School podcast. Today's guest is Kevin Cassidy, a former Hollywood stuntman, school teacher, college, and pro athlete. He's a current business owner, author, speaker, father, and husband. He spent over 17 years working on some of the biggest movies in the world, including eight Marvel films such as Spider-Man Homecoming, Far From Home, Black Panther, Ant-Man, Captain America Civil War, and others, as well as The Dark Knight Rises, Salt, The Other Guys, Zombieland 2, and many more. You're absolutely going to love today's episode, and if you want to hear more from Kevin's story, be sure to grab a copy of his book, Falling Down to Find Myself. All right, without further ado, let's get into today's episode with Kevin Cassidy. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I think a good baseline question to start with would be, at what age did you realize you loved falling off of things? Let's let's start there. <laughs> That's a good question. Well, I did a lot growing up. I was probably a typical boy playing sports and probably like climbing up things more than falling off of them, but I fell off enough times that I realized that eh, I, I could fall and I could hurt. I could keep climbing up. So the fall never stopped the climb. So that was probably more the, uh, the climb was more the goal and the fall was more the result. The after, of, uh, unintended the aftermath. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What, what did you think was on the horizon for you as a young kid? Like when you looked in the future and you would get asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? What kind of things did you imagine for yourself? The typical, I want to be an athlete. I was a college professional baseball player, so I was always a pretty good athlete and had a shot at that. And younger, you know, I want to be a baseball or football player. That was a simple one. But I also, even at a young age, I knew I wanted to be like a coach or a mentor or mm. something involved in athletics and education. I always kind of knew that was kind of a path. What about education appeal to you? Like, what was it about that profession that was interesting? I think the amount of people you can, I was always very social and very kind of dialed into relationships and I always had good friends. That was always very, that was more important to me than my grades were. Sure. Uh, luckily, I was smart enough to get good enough grades without trying very hard. Um, right. So that was easy to focus, but that was a little more important to me, having a strong social network right. and friends and teammates and all that. And the people who facilitated that, my teachers and coaches, really had a, a big impact uh, on me. And people around me and just the general vibe of, of I went to a really bad school and I went to a really good school. And mm. still the, the people who impacted always, always stood out. And I was like, oh, man, they're having fun. They're on the baseball field. They're just hanging out, playing with kids right now. And they're, that's yeah. what they do. All right, right. I, maybe I could do that. So it was the separation wasn't always there. I had a lot of good coaches in my life. Sure, sure. Was that the goal going into college then? Was it like pursuing that path or was yeah, it pursuing something else in baseballs here as my kind of outlet or yeah for pursuing sports like i went to college to play sports and if i didn't play sports i don't know if i probably went to college anyway but i probably would have fell out <laughs> having a schedule of waking up early in the morning doing the workouts going to i mean you're very regimented you don't have much free time when you're playing sports in college yeah. And if I had that free time, I probably would have wasted it, honestly. So <laughs> being dialed in with sports really, really helped me. So the goal was try to play pro baseball. But obviously, you're in college, so you pick a major. My major was physical therapy and education. Okay. I had a pretty bad shoulder injury in high school, and I kind of mm. nerded out on what happened and why it happened and really was interested in the body and anatomy. And I thought physical therapy would be a good path as well as education. So I kind of pursued both of those through college. Mm. Well, my main goal was trying to play pro baseball. Gotcha. Gotcha. How did that kind of come to a, a conclusion of like, okay, this isn't the path for me. This isn't going to be the the long term. Well, I actually, I, I played minor league baseball for a year and, you know, wasn't good enough. and had some injuries and then I became a teacher. I was a teacher in Baltimore city and outside Maryland and enjoyed it, liked it, felt like I was in a good spot. And it wasn't, I was still young, had a lot of energy and, you know, there's a lot of handcuffs in, in education and I really liked it. I enjoyed it. I figured I would probably stay there for a while. And then a couple opportunities were put in front of me. I'm like, yeah, I'll try that. I got plenty of time to go back and teach. And before I know it, I was in LA, I was in movies and I was like, oh, well, 
I'll ride this wave out as long as I can. And then 18 years later, I'm trying to escape that wave and <laughs> get back to life. So you started with the longest yard. That was kind of the kickstart into this. I understand like getting on the wave and you're riding it for a long time. It keeps going, but like, how do you first get on the wave? Cause there's people that are intentionally going really hard after this. And they're trying to figure this out. Like what was that first step to going like, Oh, I just landed this movie. Like here I am on a set. Like tell me about that experience and how that came together. Yeah, for sure. In the, in the stunt world, there's kind of like a little cocoon that exists inside Hollywood. It's kind of, it's all reputation based. It's no no managers, no agents, no real auditions. It's all build your reputation. You get hired by word of mouth, and which I liked about that. It kind of filtered out a lot of riffraff and people who are serious about it and working. Always, you know, kind of if you if you put yourself out there long enough, you'll you'll catch. If you have to be athletic and have the skill set as well, but the work ethic really matters. And and that you know you can't really get lucky in stunts. It happens. But so to answer your question. I, I played a sport called slam ball. It was full contact basketball and trampoline. It was out on TV for a couple of years. When I, mean, I was a teacher, I would watch it and I got a kick out of it. There was a nationwide tryout for it in Philadelphia. I was living in Baltimore. And one of my good friends from Philly, we drove to Philly for a weekend for the tryout. This is a goof. And I made it. And then fly me out to LA for another tryout. And I made the whole, made the whole thing. It was on TV and I lived in LA for like four months. I had never been there before. Cool experience. And a couple of people I met in that were involved in the movie business. Obviously, LA was a TV show. It was athletics. It was it was trying to be like the first team extreme sport in like the X Games. And then they tried to make it like American Gladiators and ended up being in court for a while and it went away. But that got me out into LA, into Hollywood and, and met people who were doing this I'd never, you know, really pursued or or really thought about as an option. Yeah. And one of my good friends did a bunch of sports movies. His specialty was football movies. He had done The Replacements, Any Given Sunday. He played football at Clemson. He was a college athlete, went to a tryout at some point, and they were just doing a casting call for high-level football players. And you try out, and you make this movie, and you do all the football action. But the, Any Given Sunday, you had to be NFL-caliber football player for this movie. So you had a big tryout and all this action. NFL players or college players come to try out and if you have time or energy and if you make it, you would not be allowed to go back and play at college because it makes you professional. You can't take money for your ability. Gotcha. So everyone who just graduated or just got cut from the NFL or playing arena ball or whatever, or just high school kids, I thought they were good. Went to this tryout. All the like really legit guys made it. Kind of like me, they're 22, nothing else to do. Do a movie and they made it. <clears throat> they moved to LA. They were involved in slam ball somehow. I met them playing slam ball. <clears throat> Didn't really know what I was going to do. Hey, come come live in Encino with me. Crash on my couch. And you can teach out here. You can go back yeah. to school out here. You can do whatever you want out here, what you're doing in Baltimore. And slam ball comes back. You're here. You're ready to go and play again. Well, that sounds like a <clears throat> good deal. Free free couch in LA. Let's go. <laughs> so out there, I was like bartending, personal training, nine odd jobs. <clears throat> and watching them make a crap ton of money doing – Football commercials, they were doing motion capture for video games, the, the balls, all the action, and not just sports games. They were doing like Halo and, and that world. And but they're all in the Scrinatures Guild. So that's a big barrier. Like you can't get these big jobs unless you're in the union. <clears throat> and you, you can't get in the union unless you're in the union. It's really catch 22. It's really hard yeah. to break into that union. A lot of people do it as actors and they go to auditions and you get an audition that you get right in. And these guys got in by doing like football tryouts to get a football movie. Gotcha. So they got into the union. They do like background work on commercials, sports commercials, or any football, baseball movie. They do all those movies or Gatorade commercials. And back then, like national commercials paid a crap time and right. movies paid good. Was, you work for three or four months and then you, you do something else. It was very kind of like transient. So living on that guy's couch, there was a tryout for the movie, The Longest Yard. The same world that these guys did years ago for Any Given Sunday or Replacements or Friday Night Lights. Same thing. Now it's a casting call in L.A. Go to a football field, run the 40, do the whole like NFL combine tryout. And I wasn't that good. I was good, but I hadn't played in years. And these guys just got out of SC and 
they're way a little bit So I was like, ah, probably won't make this, but why not throw my head, head out there? Every day they had a cut, and every day I made it. And it was the longest yard, so it's an inmate scene. So ugly guys like me had a probably a little better shot if you were too pretty. So come to find out, a person who I knew during slam ball, she was the athletic trainer, like taping ankles and everything. She was a hiring football coordinator's assistant. And she was behind the scenes saying, hey, this guy's legit. He's athletic. He'll show up on time. He'll hit his mark. He, I mean, he's not as good at football. He, he, he can't run the 4-2. But it's movie football. I know where you're going to be. you got to be in the right spot at the right time, the right camera angle. And I, I kind of understood that. So she vouched for me, and I made that movie. <clears throat> got my SAG card. I made a bunch of money. I had a lot of fun playing football. And I was like, huh, that was a lot more fun than teaching in Baltimore. Let's see how long this lasts. <laughs> right, and then right. I was kind of dialed into that sports world of Hollywood first. And then I, you know, trained and met, did fight training and I kind of branched sure. up to like more stunt stuff. Well, I was curious about that because like, obviously starting with sports was familiar. Like there's at least, I mean, like you said, like you're not NFL caliber, you know, but you at least know, okay, this is what we're doing. You know, like you're not starting with like, how do I do these crazy things that I'm not familiar with, but I'm always curious with stuntmen. And I actually, actually rode with a PA who's, who is doing stunts as well, just a, a few weeks ago, right into the airport. And she's like telling me about getting into that world and like how different it is when I talk to cinematographers or directors who are like, I went to, you know, USC and did film school for a few years and then walked out with a diploma and started directing like with stunts. It does seem like it's this like family that you kind of get into. Tell me a little bit about what training for that looks like, because again, sports, there's some familiarity. You can kind of guess your way through it a little bit. Like, how did you make that jump to, okay, now I'm going to learn how to do some of these crazy stunts safely that are totally foreign. Like, this is a whole new world. Like, what does training look like in that regard? Yeah, it's a good question. So, there's a, a stuntman softball league, a stuntman golf tournament every year, stuntman, like, gatherings. Everyone used to meet at Pickwick and had a beer. And it always stuff like, bowling uh, charities. It was, like, the community back in L.A. this time. There's a community of some people. They always hung, hung around. Oh, you're playing the softball league. You go to the golf tournament. You, it was easy enough to find where the guys were. So you just show up there. And I was a professional baseball player. So I looked great in the softball field. So the first time I went and played softball, I was like, oh, man, I'm more athletic. I'm going to run this world really quick. I didn't know that that guy was a world-class martial artist. That guy was a world-class rodeo. That guy is a Red Bull skydiver. And that guy is a Cirque du Soleil person. So then you learn and you become friends with all these people. We're all... We're all athletic kind of based motocross guys it's every genre of you know physical ability comes together in the stunt world and you meet them on a softball field and then the word of mouth spreads hey what are you working on oh i'm working on this movie and this tv show oh, who's the boss of that oh this guy oh, i don't know him oh you should come to the set and meet him oh, okay cool i mean you come to the set you literally hustle a set you just break onto a set with your resume and at first you have nothing on your resume but you're headshot your height and weight and i played some football or i'm athletic or i did this or and the guy goes oh, thanks for having me puts it and probably throws it away leaves it in his trailer or whatever and then you meet that guy again in the softball field oh i met you you're coordinating the show but sons of anarchy oh your friends are my friend over here i play softball with and oh yeah you're a nice guy i met you i had a beer with you so that kind of builds the the community aspect of it just keep showing up be a nice person be a hard worker and that you said, put your best foot forward in what you're comfortable with, which was sports for me. So I did all the sports movies I could do, all the TV shows, all the commercials to pay my bills. And then the guys I met in the softball league, or I, I would get a phone call. Hey, you came hustle my set. I got to do this fight scene. You're, you're the height weight. You have a great look. You know, how good are you at fights? I was like, well, I've gotten a lot of fights growing up. I haven't really trained like movie. I don't know. Pretty good. I probably can figure it out. I'm like, oh, okay, listen, go work on your fights. All right, go work on fights. Who, who does fights? So you talk to your network and your people. Like, who are the fight guys? What does it mean to be good at fights? Oh, well, we trained at like 87-11, which is the biggest one now. Back then, they were just starting to come up. Or we go to the Gymnastics Olympica back was a good thing. We go to the open gym, like 20 guys would be there, working on reactions and what how to throw a punch for camera angle and like, oh, that's what look. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not good at this. You're right. So next time that phone call comes, no, I'm not going to fight yet. Because you say you are, 
and you got hired, you show up two days later and you got to do a fight. It's not the place and, to learn. Yeah. <laughs> you're now blacklisted. You lied to me. You're not very good. It's going to be a really big uphill battle. So you take your jobs that put you in a position to succeed first to build that reputation. So it was a long time where I'm like, ah, and I actually got really good at fights, but I still was like, ah, I'm not as good as these guys. I train with guys who are good at fights. And I would say, no, nah, I'm not good enough. And then I would work and look, the sons of anarchy, you can get a punch and fall over a table. It's not a Jackie Chan fight. Well, I can do that. I can do that. So then you kind of realize how to sell yourself without, I, I used to sell myself short a lot of times because I would train with guys who were phenomenal at it. And I'm like, I, I'm not, you know, I can't do it. I'm not as good as them. And I was like, well, no one's as good as them. They've done it their whole life. But I don't need like a bar fight guy. He can do that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I can do that. So learning that little nuance of the business was tough. And then you just all out of your own pocket, all out of your own dime and your own time. You just show up and start training. My first thing was working with the fight guys and in the fights, learn how to fall and roll and throw reactions. And, and then a couple of guys there were like car guys who were also learning how to fight or, or improve their fight game. And then other guys there were horse guys who were learning on their fights. And then, hey, next week, we'll go to your place and learn how to ride horses. Yeah, cool. I'm going to come to my house next week. And we go to that guy's house and learn how to ride horses. And then we had a couple of guys have like high fall towers. And, you, you know, you build a reputation of being a good guy and a hard worker. People invite you to places to train with. And uh, over time, you get good enough just training uh, all out of pocket, your own time, your own dime. And a phone call comes, hey, can you do a high fall? Yes, I can. I've trained for the last six months on them. 40, 50 feet, probably my limit. But what do you need? Oh, yeah, perfect. Awesome. Cool. And then you work and you meet that guy, you do a good job, and you kind of build and build and build. Yeah. So the, there are people who moved to LA just to do stunts. I want to be a stunt guy. And then I would tell those guys, hey, now I moved to Atlanta, not LA, because Atlanta's the busiest place mm-hmm. in the world. That community now is just in Atlanta. LA, everyone, if you live in LA, you're never working there. Right. You're, if you're a working you're gonna stunt fly out man, to Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. If you're a working stunt man, if you live in LA, you're probably in Atlanta working. There's no working stuntman community who's hanging out in LA anymore because they're all over the world. Yeah. So and just show up at the softball league, show up at the training event, show up, meet people and network and see what skills you're good at. Start there and then see what you gotta improve at and put as many tools in your toolbox as you can. So when that phone rings, you can take a job and do a good job. Right. It is the best thing to be that jack of all trades where it's like, I can drive cars, I can fall off things, I can do horses, I can do, or is it better to be hyper-focused on like, I'm really good at fights or I'm really good at falls or I'm really good at, you know. It seems now it's it's trending towards being hyper-focused because everyone's so good. When I was coming up, jack of all trades is what everyone wanted, but now and back then, the the rodeo guys kind of ran the world, the stunt world, the cowboys. And so you had that cowboys and motocross guys. So you had to get on the bike and get on the horse to prove to them that, you know, you're in that. The stunt may be falling down the stairs. Horse riding the martial arts don't help with that. But if you've proven yourself in this world, then that cowboy is going to give his cowboy buddy the job falling down the stairs. The fight guy is going to give his fight buddy the job falling down the stairs because he's comfortable with that skill set. Now it's getting way more specialized where being one focus gets you in the door. And like back in the day, there was a bunch of Westerns being filmed. So everyone focused on horses and then no Westerns are being filmed. So the horse guys better learn how to fight. Now everything's a fight game. You better learn how to fight and prove yourself to that crowd. So if you came up being like a world-class martial artist and you have all these accolades of this or, or parkour or that, they love that. Now you'll get hired quick. So you, see who's hiring and what skills they really like. One of my good friends was a, a motocross guy, a X game motocross guy. And we, he did a couple of fight stuff, wasn't great at it. And was learning, was athletic. And we were like, mate, you're just really good on a, on a motorcycle. There's not enough motorcycle stunts to, to feed your family. You know, you get you know, two or three or whatever. And maybe do like motorcycle camera work. He started a company where he now makes a crap ton of money. It's probably the top punk top company in the business to do camera work for both motorcycles and cars and all that kind of, he runs and owns all that stuff, but he found that specialty, found his niche and crushed it. And, and nice guy, hardworking, everybody likes him, shows up on time. Awesome guy behind the wheel. So you, you can find that specialty and just go with that. Eventually, I think even if you have that specialty, that's going to help you break in. You got to diversify. Cause if you're, 
doubling Keanu Reeves on the Matrix. You better be the best martial artist in the world, like Chad Skowski was. But guess what? He's got to ride a motorcycle too in that movie, and he's got to fall out of the building in that movie, and he's gonna. And nowadays, the coordinator can have the mar- the two or three doubles for that guy. He's gonna fall out of the building one time in the movie. Okay, that one day I hire somebody else to double him. He's gonna ride a motorcycle the- this week. Okay, this week I hire this guy to double him for the motorcycle stuff. But you're his main double to do the fight stuff. And while you're doing the fight stuff, you got to rehearse every day. You got, I mean, it's a there's a thousand beat fights, and you got to work with the actors. So the main stunt double is doing the fights. He's got rehearsal and prep and previs and all that stuff to shoot while the other guy's riding the motorcycle. So it helps a lot to have multiple doubles at times. So again, more and more focused, the business is going towards a stream focus of one thing. But you, you got to more toolboxes. If you're really good, like I'm really good at baseball, it would have been kind of dumb for me to keep working on baseball. I'm really good at that. Like, I'm already as good as I can get at that. Like, if you're the world class martial artist, always tweak and do your trade. And those guys go to more behind the camera, fight choreography, what, what angles look, look best, what frames, what rates will look best, what what lenses are best, or what shot and angles and, and rigging and flying and you know, all the Marvel movies I did. Everything, something's blowing up, someone's flying, someone grows. I mean, the, the world is endless possibilities in these you know creative scenes. So, getting good at that is, is a plus. You get behind the camera to. Yeah film the previous so everyone you should always work on all your all your tools yeah wh- what what would you say is your like secret weapon like what do you think your your like if you say like this is my thing like if i had to go on a set like this is the thing that i'm best at or even maybe it's your favorite thing to do where it's like when i get calls for these kinds of jobs like it's a yes yeah for me it's like the generic old school like 80s i had to be a werewolf run through the woods and jump over stuff and throw a guy and kind of just be i'm a big guy i'm six foot three 230 pounds and i'm really good on wires some people have air awareness and really good on wire work and some people aren't for whatever reason i'm pretty good on wires and having a big guy who's good on wires is, is a good niche i had but anytime i went to work and i was a tv show headless horseman what was it called it was at wilmington Oh, uh, Sleepy Hollow. It, yeah. Sleepy Hollow. And I had you know, a bunch of fight scenes and it was rough and tough and throw a guy and grab an axe and jump through a window and do a roll and jump up and anything like physical and, and oh, a big guy can move that fast and jump and run and do it yeah. all day long. And that, those are the ones that we, I, I'm going to make, everyone's going to be really proud of me today because it's kind of my niche. Right. You know, if I had to drive a car to hit this mark perfectly, I'm like, I'll probably do it, but I'm not really, I'm nervous about that one. The other ones were just all around athletic, tough, like gritty scenes. I, I, I'm, I'm good at those. Right. Right. Well, I, I, I want to ask you about a couple specific projects, but I want to ask you one thing specifically, because I think there's a perception around the stunt community that like, you know, these are just the guys that are going to sacrifice their bodies for the movie, you know, and, and there's not a lot of thought, you know, like there, there can be this idea of like, it's just a guy who smokes a cigarette, throws it out and like, is going to go run and jump off something okay. where obviously it's an art form. Like there's ways to do it safely. And I listen to an interview with Kane Hodder and he, he talks about like laughing when he hears stunt guys talking about how many bones they broke. He's like, that just means you're not good at your job. Like, like I want to know how many stunts you've done safely. Tell me just a little bit about what the, the mindset of, the stunt community is and like what the, the approach is going in. Cause it's not just willy nilly. Let's go do something dangerous. Like what's the approach to doing really physical work and, and making it where you can have a long running career and you're not just, you know, you're not stumbling around by 30 cause you've just <laughs> messed yourself up. How are you going into the stunt world and, and approaching it and making it a safe, safe environment for everybody? Well, I think luckily the, the studios and the community kind of helped that. I think back in the 70s and 80s, you did have that guy with a cigarette, cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> right. or do a line. That definitely helps. Some intensity in the scene for sure. <laughs> so I think back in the day it was more like that. We didn't have, no one asked us, hey, what's your opinion about the camera angle here? What do you think looks best here? And hey, we need someone to fall down. Good. Now we have a lot more power on set. Like the stunt coordinator is in charge of the set, the fight choreographer. There's guys I worked with like Brad Allen or Sam Hargrave or these guys who they're now directors and second directors. When you hire like Brad Allen or, or Sam Hargrave, or so many other ones now from, from that world. I'm going to like, so 
I'll tell the story about Sam. Sam was the stunt devil for Captain America in the Captain America Civil and Winter Soldier. And that was really kind of the movie where the fight game just went, holy cow, that's a badass fight. So that's, that was different. Before that, the stunt guys would, we choreograph a fight. We film it. We do the previews. We edit. And we have to shop that to the director. The director say, okay, stunt guys, here's the script. Make the fight. Show it to me. Back in the day, they're like, yeah, cool, punch, fall, and moving on anyway, dialogue. But now they're like, all right, no, this fight really helped sell the movie. And they would, we would do all this awesome fight choreography or angles and previews and spend like weeks and weeks and weeks doing it. And they would approve it. They would love it. They would high five. And when the movie came out, it was cut all the crap and look, didn't look very good because they had the final edit. They picked the angles that weren't the right angles that we had known and we had practiced and we had dialed in. And to make it the energy and everything come across in these fights, the, the insert shots, the nightfall and the grabbing, all that kind of stuff. So Sam and the 87 11 guys really were just nerded out on that. They were trained day in and day out about what angles look best, do all these awesome fights. And a couple of times they were like, hey, listen, I'll be a fight choreographer, but I need final edit of the fights. Like this can't go on the big screen until I approve this fight scene. If that's what you want, hire me. If you want power over that, fine, don't hire me. And a couple times they got hired, and they're like, wow, that changed the game. These guys are legit. Now, anytime there's a big fight scene, if a coordinator has enough power and has negotiated and all the action movies, like Garrett Warren, who does Avatar and all these, they have that power now because they're really good at it and they nerd out behind the camera. And so that brings a more legitimate world of stunt guy. You no longer just have to fall down. You got to show up, create the fights. I did Zombieland 2, and we choreographed all the fights, all the zombie action, all the, uh, she fall through a wall, she do this, how she do this, and we create that. I mean, that is a a long dance of energy and, uh, and storyline and plot points, and the bad guy has to die, but he can't look too vulnerable, and the, and the girl has to kill him, but she can't look too powerful, or like, that dance is huge, and that's what we're really tasked with nowadays. So we have a lot more power and say on set, like if, if Sam's on set and he's a he was a second the director of the Avengers movies and he directed a couple of movies with Chris Hemsworth over on, on Amazon Ex- Extraction Extraction and yeah. uh, so all those stunt guys stunt guys made those movies like all of it from directing to action to all that stuff so when well, he's on set even if he's not the director of that when he was starting out but listen stunts are on set we're doing this fight scene right. Cool. I'm the director. I'm in charge now. Director, you know, obviously we're partnering. It's not, it's not like this, but the director knows I hired this guy to run this for me. Great. Takes a lot of the pressure off him. He can go focus on other things. And negotiations before the movie, you have to have that you know, dialed in. But Sam or Brad or whoever, Garrett or any of these big people are, they run that show. They run that set. They set the people. They, they're in charge. So it's no longer just a guy falling down the stairs. It's the guy directing the whole set now. Right. That's how the stunts have you know, evolved. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. It's the same conversation I had with with V Neil doing makeup, you know, and she talked about that same thing. She's like, I want to see how it's going to be presented, how it's being lit, how it's being, because that makes my work look <laughs> bad, you know, potentially. Tell me a little bit. I mean, so the cool thing about stunts, obviously, is we're doing this. Like we're yeah. doing this for real on camera. I'm curious when you look into some of the films that you're working on now, like look at Marvel or if you're looking at, I mean, when I watched your reel, you know, and I saw Transformers in there, you know, I remember having my mind just blown by those scenes. And the big thing that with Transformers, like that huge building scene in Transformers Dark of the Moon, like one of the things I love about Michael Bay is that, you know, most of it's real, you know, obviously it's contained and controlled. But, you know, then you fast forward to Marvel, there's a lot where it's like there's CGI and there's, you know, you might be doing this on a green screen and they're adding it in. For you, does it make a difference when you go into a project, whether it's like practical versus VFX? Like, do you feel, do you ever get frustrated, like feeling like VFX softens the blow of maybe what you're capturing in camera? Yeah, for sure. And I think it's, it's relevant. Grass is always greener. If you do nine Marvel movies in a row, my buddy did all the uh, X-Men movies. He goes, every every stunt scene was this. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I'm like, I'm like ah, I just, uh, just want to do like uh, Mad Max and get gritty and do the real yeah. stuff and just hit the girt. So when you do the do all that stuff, you're like, man, I wish I can be in the stage in a green screen and kind of hanging out doing this right now. 
So you kind of grass is always greener. But and if you have the right mindset going in, open minded. I'm as a stunt performer, a coordinator. I can give you what you want. What do you want? Because this is this is going to be Ant Man. It's kind of funny. It's kind of hokey. A lot of green screen, but some of the action is going to be pretty pretty awesome. And okay, cool. I'll give you that. It's my job to give that to you. So I know. Tell my team. I hire them. Hey, this is this is not Mad Max. This is Ant Man. Or if you're doing a comedy like The Longest Yard, there's a little pratfalls. It's not the stunts aren't as serious. Don't you know? Right, you know, Zombieland too was more comedy, but the more shocking you can do with a, a zombie death or a, a car hit, that brings the energy up. So you have to pick and choose what you know what you're going to focus on and what you're really going to bring to the table. Yeah. So as long as you know going in what the feel of the movie is and you're on board with that feel, like if you want to do Mad Max, that's all you want to do. Don't take the the Marvel movie. That's you're gonna get Mad Max will be gone. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you'll be frustrated. You're gonna, not going to like it. Or change your mindset. Listen, cool. I'm doing this Marvel. Maybe it's the Scarlet Witch one. That was like the old TV show, WandaVision. Oh yeah, uh, that, that was kind of not very stunt heavy. And but like the really good stunt guys and coordinators and fight guys were on that, and they're like, oh, I'm kind of bored. Yeah, that's fair, but sometimes it's gonna be bored because you just did Mad Max. So maybe that's a good. You know, but as long as you get your head around what they want and you're okay delivering that and fitting. Mm-hmm you know, that into the niche and you hire the people accordingly to set those expectations, then, then ultimately that's the art of the movie. You know, if you need to be really shocked with a Mad Max blowing up and Michael Bay and all that, cool, give that to them. Yeah. And that's fun. That's awesome. It's also tiring and hours and energy and it wears your soul, especially Michael Bay yelling at everybody and firing right. people. And, you know, it's a tough job. Every time you do Transformers, you're like, I need to do a one division for a little bit to get, yeah. get back into back in right. space. So, but at, at times it's frustrating still when you think you could have done a better job of yeah. shocking the audience or doing something harder or better, <clears throat> but sometimes it's not needed. You know, yeah. and that's the director's call ultimately and the, the producer's call ultimately. And you got to give them options and here you go. And yeah, you don't have a final edit at the whole movie. At the end of the day. Right. Well, teenage me has to ask you about Transformers. I gotta, that's, I, I gotta ask you about that working with Michael Bay. Cause like that, that's one of the, that's one of those guys that just for me growing up, cause I was always interested in like, I always had a camera in front of my face always. And like for a teenage boy, Michael Bay's movies are like the most formative, most formative thing. I mean, tell me, I, I've heard he's a super intense director. Like he's obviously, he knows what he wants and he wants to do it largely for real. Even Transformers, like aside from the Transformers, they're knocking over buildings and they're blowing things up. What was the onset environment like for like Transformers 3, you know, and what was kind of your it's funny in your reel because like you're seeing this massive building falling over and these guys sliding down and i'm like trying to see which ones <laughs> which ones you <laughs> like what was what was your involvement like on that and and what was your kind of role in that so uh, tell you some michael bay behind the scenes michael bay stuff but my role in transformers i was a stunt double for uh i did a couple of them so I'll do enough everything kind of come together there's military expert guys, guys who like meet the windsuit guys, guys who meet the guys and they're military. I was double one of the military guys. So all the military scenes, I was that guy's stunt double. He maybe had two or three lines in the movie. But he was always a military support group for for that stuff. And it was in the building falling down, that that core military team doing all that stuff. I was that guy's stunt double for one of those random guys stunt doubles for that for that stuff. But when I moved to LA, the guy who I slept on his couch, I played slam ball with, he played football at Clemson. The guy actually was, he married me. He's a pastor at my wedding. He was he's still one of my best friends to this day. He was on other softball leagues. There was a something in softball league as well. He was in an industry softball league. And the sports world is kind of close knit in Hollywood. Stunts is close knit, and the sports is even a closer knit, smaller world. And he played softball on Wednesday nights by Fox Studios. and Hey, we need a good, you know, I'm a good softball player. I'm the ringer. Actually, I'll play. A couple of the slam ball guys are there. And David Cook, who won American Idol, was on their team. Isaiah, who was the old Spice guy with Terry Crews. The other guy, Isaiah, he was on their team. LaMonica Garrett, the guy I played slam ball with him. He was on their team. He was the black cowboy in 1889. And 
He he was in oh he was in the movie with Chris Pratt the military one that was on Amazon can't remember anyway oh, uh, really t- tomorrow 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 war or the series the series they just did it was they didn't just do it it was like a year ago terminalist yeah he 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 was the black guy in that who was the admiral's right hand mm-hmm. he just killed him you know I don't want to give it away but. He's really blown up acting wise. He was on my slam ball team and awesome dude. He's on the softball team. A guy named Michael Fisher ran the softball team. And Michael Fisher is Michael Bay's best friend. And when mm-hmm. Bay was doing commercials back in the day, he did some sports commercials. He hired Fisher to be the sports coordinator to, or- to choreograph the sports stuff as Bay directed. As Bay blew up, Fisher blew up. And Fisher was a head sports coordinator of so many sports movies that you heard of. The uh, woman Sandra Bullock and the football player. Blindside. Blindside. And, I mean, so many. So he's really blown up in the football choreographing kind of world. And obviously, Bay blew up in the other world. And blew up everything. So, yeah, but they blew up everything for sure, yeah. So I'm on the softball team. My first baseman is a guy named Michael. And I play for two or three years and have beer with this guy all the time. And I play shortstop and I throw into him and he wears like a Transformers hat sometimes and he pays for two Heinekens and leaves. And, and I'm like, is that Michael Bay? He goes, yeah. I'm like three years into it, I didn't know that was actually Michael Bay. I was playing softball with and had become like acquaintances with and teammates with. And every Wednesday night for years, I played softball with Michael Bay. That's crazy. <laughs> so I knew him on that level. It was always nice, a little intense, a little like eccentric. And I was one time he's playing first base. He's heckling the umpire. And he goes, I get, he goes, I get paid a lot of money from my eye. How much do you get paid? That was a hard one. He, he was pretty funny and witty, and I liked yeah. the gritty. Like he would get down and knock the ball. He was a really gritty, intense, in a fun way guy on the softball team. And the first movie I did with him was Dark of the Moon. And I heard, and I having beers with him after softball, I remember him talking about he has to hire some young guy to do this movie and was, you know, asking us, like, what, what young, cool people do you think are you know, be a good fit for some movie I might do? And, and again, I didn't know it was Michael Bay at the time. So we had this conversation. Ended up being Shia LaBeouf for Transformers. But he was, like, shopping that around and wondering who we could do. Like, I'm not Damien or this or whatever. Anyway, so I heard previously he was way more intense. He even said, he admitted this over beers to, you know, group of five of us playing softball. I used to pick every script apart, every line, every, control everything. It's just, it would drive me nuts. And I, if I didn't control it, I was miserable. And every movie made a billion dollars. And after like 10 of them made a billion dollars, I was like, I can probably just chill a little bit <laughs> and not take it so seriously. And I think he worked on that. He got older, got a little more humble. So by the time he did Dark of the Moon, he was a little better. He still has like, and he has the whole movie done in his head. It's already done. And everyone's three sets behind him. So he'll be like, okay, we're going to do this scene over here tomorrow. And nine cars are blowing up. Cool. We have to do a lot of prep for that. A lot of cars. A lot of, I mean, there's a lot of things to do to get that scene going. She says up in the morning, he goes, you know what? We're doing this one for the day today. We're like, we don't have that set up. We can't. Yes, you can. The, the movie's in my head. It's already done. Why aren't we doing this? How come it's not lit? Let's go. You didn't tell anybody, Mike. I, I get it that you think that. So he's just is so far ahead of himself and the movie's already done. Everything's that other, everyone's always catching up and he doesn't really sympathize with that much. So being a stunt coordinator, his set is a lot of, and a lot of things like if you're, if you have like a mortar blowing up, as a stunt coordinator, I'm like, okay, I got to have the uh, FX department blow one up. I need to see how far that flame's going. I need to know where I can put my guy. Where is he, where is he safe running from? And I got to see it. Boom. Okay. My guy's here. How much gas is in there? Not much? Okay, make sure that's exactly what happened next time. Guys, I tested it. I saw it. You're safe for this line. Cool. They'll be like, add 10 more mortars over there. Let's go. Shoot, shoot, shoot. I'm like, well, where's the safe area? I'm like, I don't know. But we're shooting it. All right, guys. I can either as a stunt coordinator. I wasn't stunt coordinator in any of these movies. But if that position can be like, hey, no, no, no. We're not doing this. Stop. This is not safe. I'm out. You do that, you're not going to be a stunt coordinator of Michael Bay. You got to be like, all right, guys. I haven't seen any of this. Really hide yourself. Get big. And if you if we ruin the shot, well, men will know. We, we can reel it back in. There's a lot of that set. Like, oh man, just a little bit of hope for the best. Like, actually, probably are more likely to happen on those sets for obvious reasons. And sets for like Marvel, everything's dialed in, tested. Right. You have the power on the set to make the call, and no one's gonna fire you for it. But uh, so on that big scene, 
he was more chill and relaxed, and he wasn't the bay that everyone had has been in the past and probably will be in the future. He has some even kill moments. I think right. I knew him as a as a softball teammate. Softball buddy, yeah. <laughs> so I jump out the window. We do it. We, we go through the glass. I look on. I jump out the window. We fall over into the, into the cardboard boxes, and everyone gets a little cut on them. And he's walking by. He goes, looks at me. He goes, "The hell are you doing here?" He didn't know I was working. He had no clue. I didn't. I didn't get hired from him. I got hired from the stunt coordinator. No one yeah. knew that. Knew him beyond movies. I'm like I'm, I'm working. He goes, "Ah, oh, good to see you." He kept walking. I'm like. What was that about? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> he didn't hire me. I got hired the right way. I don't want to talk about that. I know softball. So I, I have a different relationship with Bay because I, I like him and respect him as a person because I've seen more of him off the screen and on set. So, but a lot of the stories I hear, I'm like, yeah, it's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> probably true. <laughs> I can see that too. So. That's funny. Well, I, I want to talk a little bit before I jump into the the random round here at the end. I want to talk a little bit about writing a book, like taking that on. What was kind of the, you know, I always say when someone starts a podcast, starts a book, you know, starts a project, there's some seed of something that they want to get out to the world. Like what was that driving idea they got you to put pen to paper or fingers to keyboard and start, start writing? Not a great question. I, so I'll, I'll short story as much as I can. I was born with a facial birth defect and a speech impediment. I battled throughout my life and was an athlete and went through bullying and all that kind of stuff. And then used physical sports and everything as a physical outlet and always had like a passion for mentoring and, and, and teaching, like I said earlier, and coaching. And I learned a lot. It really actually strengthened me to go through a lot of that as a kid. A lot of kids or anybody who can – who can kind of hide what they're dealing with, whether it's like financial problems, home problems, learning disabilities, even like that you can kind of hide from and kind of like, ah, oh, maneuver around. I It was on my face. I didn't have a nose. I had a bubble in my mouth. I had a roof in my mouth. I didn't have teeth. I couldn't talk right. So there was no hiding around that. So that, that was something that really helped formulate my, you know, my, my perseverance and my, you know, my mentality in life. And then through college, I played baseball. I, I actually got, wrongfully arrested in college, went to jail, got out of jail, lost a scholarship, got kicked out, went to teaching, was broke, slept on couches, went to Hollywood. So I did so many random things. Now, looking back, I'm like, man, I, all the things I did never defined me. Like, I was never defined and never internalized being a bully kid, never internalized being a popular kid when I got to high school and college, never internalized that I got arrested. I was an inmate for a little bit. I was in jail. Never internalized being a Hollywood stuntman. I could that could have fed my ego and I'm, you know, high five and Tom Holland and Spider-Man and, you know, the flying me to Prague and all that. It was really cool. It was never who I was. It was what I did. So and I did that so many times in my life, looking back, I'm like, that's a really good message I want to give for the, the passion inside me to do the mentorship, to go back to teaching, to go back to, you know, helping society and kids and everything. That message of who you are matters more than what you are from the point of a bully kid to a Hollywood stuntman, both of them were irrelevant to me as far as, you know, what drove me, what made me happy, what fulfilled me and my character, hard work, all those things, my relationships, my, my friends, my community, all that stuff meant so much more to me. So then being in Hollywood, you got a pretty cool story. You know, I got, I played off with Michael Bay. I've been in all his movies. That's a cool, I could use that to, create more eyes on kind of my story and my philosophy. So I put pen to paper, you know, fingers to keep it and just wrote it out. Which I'm calling it a philosophical memoir story from my life, from that all the way to Hollywood, how I made it along a shard, the cool stunt stories. And then I left that world a couple of years ago because I have three kids. I have a six year old, a four year old and a two year old, all girls. That's way harder than any stunt I ever did. I have and, one uh, five-year-old girl, so I can't imagine uh, that times three. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, pros and cons. Pros and cons. I can't wait till they get older. I'm a little better than the older kids. But So I was in Europe doing Spider-Man Far From Home for four months. Came home for one weekend for my daughter's birthday. Flew back Sunday night, go back mm -hmm. to work. They own you on these sets, and I loved it. But I couldn't do Family Man and that, you know? Yeah. So I was able to leave that behind write a book, do podcasts. I opened up a gym, a business, a Ninja Warrior facility. Mm -hmm. I still take a lot of calls. And I'm like, I jumped on Guardians of the Galaxy 3 a couple months ago. 
because my good friends, Renee, Heidi Moneymaker, were running that. They're stunt, hiring stunt people. So I went and played with them for a little while. So I'm going to keep my toe in the stunt world. But it's all relationship-based. I have great relationships. And yeah. I'll jump down there and, and play and help out when I can. But I don't want to do the six, eight-month long runs of yeah. you're just gone anymore. Maybe my kids get older, I'll go back to that. But right now, the motivation of a pen to paper was the message I feel like I had that could help people. And the hook of the Hollywood stuff, combining those two, I thought could, could be powerful. Right. Well, and I love that approach of it's it's who you are, not what you do. And that's something that I've thought about a lot, like the last last couple of years, because I, you know, it is. I mean, I, I think about, you know, elementary school, Eric answering that question. And it's like podcasting did not exist. <laughs> so, you know, every everything that I do in business didn't exist when I was in kindergarten, you know, like the stuff I'm doing with social media, the stuff I'm doing at the podcast side, you know, we're held, I work with an agency that works with podcasters and YouTube. It's like that, that side of things just wasn't there. That wouldn't have even been an option. So it's a lot more important to know like what your goals are for yourself and who you want to be than what you do. And I think especially in, in jobs that are more physical, you know, like stunts, like, the guy, I have to imagine there's guys where being a stuntman is their identity or being an athlete is their identity and they get to an age they can't do it or an age where they can't play. And then what do I, who am I? <laughs> like, what do I do at this point? So that's such a healthy, such a healthy outlook on it. Yeah. It's, it's setting itself up for a big fall eventually. And the longer yeah. you stay in something, the more human nature, the more you're going to identify with that. Yeah. And luckily for me, the bully kid lasted for a little bit and the popular kid came and he left and I was in jail and I came down and I was homeless and I had money. And I, so I never really did anything long enough to, to, I was lucky enough to never fall into that trap to, uh, or easily fall into it. Cause I've always changed into what I was, yeah. uh, but other people who do one thing for a long time, it's fair that becomes your identity. It doesn't have to be, you know? So yeah. Uh, yeah. it definitely helps you. Everyone goes through a transition, high school to college, middle school mm-hmm. to high school, college or school to work or single to marriage father i mean you're always going to be changing something so the more you're confident with who you are the those transitions are way easier you know yeah, absolutely absolutely yeah. well i know we've got just a few minutes left i want to ask you some questions i ask everybody that comes on the show and always love hearing the variety of answers on these questions so first off which of your projects do you think is the best representation of you as a creator Probably the movie I Am Number Four. Mm-hmm. If you saw that, it was kind of when the Twilight series was big. Mm-hmm. There's like young, good looking people with powers. And I got Brad Allen, was the stunt coordinator. He was on Jackie Chan's team. Awesome, awesome dude. Passed away a few years ago. But he gave me a lot of, I, I played one of the main aliens in it. So prosthetics and sword fighting, and a lot of the gritty kind of fight stuff that I was really good at. I got to do and help create with masters of the business. A guy named Palm Zhang, who was Jet Li's double, Wushu, World Champion. This, the team was unbelievable. A guy named Damian Walters was a double for the league guy. He's one of the top parkour athletes in the world. He can do freakishly human things. And I feel like I was I shouldn't have been there. I was way out of my league. But I was able to do all the alien stuff, double a couple other people, get a lot of sword fight work with a Wushu World Champion. And then I did a lot of the stunt rigging, too, which is hanging the pulleys, jump off the rope, design how people are flying through the air i was in every aspect from the special effects makeup chair to choreographing the scenes to hanging the pulleys to cleaning the pads i was immersed in that whole world in every direction it was Mm -hmm. very very and the stunts itself were just get blown up and get back up tackle a guy that kind of my my thing so yeah i think that was and i looked ugly have prosthetics on and kind of fit my vibe (laughs) Yeah. If you were given the green light to remake any film, what would you choose and why? So this can be one of your own if you're like, oh, I feel like we had such a missed opportunity here. Or it could be, you know, if there's a film you loved, you know, that you're like, I would love to tackle a new approach on that. Two, one, not really stunt related, but I'm blanking on the name of the movie now. It's uh, uh, The Natural, a baseball movie, The Natural. Mm-hmm. You ever seen that? Uh, I haven't, no. Roy Hobbs. It's probably early 90s. It's like Feel the Dreams kind of kind of vibe. Really, really good movie. But there's like a time gap in there. He's mm-hmm. like the best player, and then he goes away and comes back. Or something. No one knows who he was. So I, I always thought filling that time gap would be mm-hmm. really cool. It's, it's not a prequel, 
That's not like a second one. There's a time gap in this movie that has a lot of questions of how he became what he became and everything. And rewriting that and filming that time gap in, in the natural would be really cool. And in the movie Zombieland 2, I really love Zombieland 1 and with the heroes of everybody. And I got to work on Zombieland 2 at a high level, like involved in all the choreography and everything. And all the stuff we did, I thought really cool, but I thought the movie wasn't as good as it could have been. I think uh, we could have done better uh, on that one, but because I love the first one so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. And there's some actually really impressive stuff in the first. Like yeah. some of those, some of the scenes are pretty, pretty intense. What is a movie people would be surprised to know that you enjoy? I enjoy every kind of genre. Probably, I, I like like the silly Adam Sandler movies, like even the rom, like Fifty First Dates. Like feel good, fun, witty movies like that. I I, I get a kick out of those. They're, they're, I think they're great. <laughs> yeah. What do you think is the best decade of film history? Oh man, kind of what 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 you want to spend on a decade for? I'll go Jackie Chan. So when he was doing his movies, mm-hmm. it went from digital to I mean from analog to digital. Which age it was film. Back when I first started, you said cut, but check the gate. People don't know what that means now. They would yeah. literally open it and check, make sure there's not a hair on the film. So you would check the gate. And now it's all digital, so there is no gate, there is no film. But people still say, check the gate when they're done, and no one knows what that means. I think that transition of like Jackie Chan used to take the film out with an eyeglass and with a razor blade cut and paste the fight scenes together back in those days. Crazy. And now you can just do that on your iMovie and yeah. be done with it. But I think that when they were still on the analog stage, then there was so much more passion. You had to be that much more devoted to the craft to do that. So I think there were a lot more passion came through on, on the screen yeah. in those days. And, and now it's a great content race. There's a hundred million shows being shot. So mm-hmm. third against the wall, see what stitch. But back then you had to really commit and be passionate about, so what was that mid late eighties probably? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little well, before that, you had to be really passionate about the project. I watched I watched Police Story for the first time I think last year and like it's <laughs> talking about committing like it's such a crazy I didn't expect the tone of it at all like I had never I had never watched Jackie Chan outside of like the movies I watched as a kid where it's like it's mo- the modern Jackie yeah. Chan that we does like the goofier like family stuff with crazy stunts and so watching that I wasn't expecting how funny it was with him as a young guy committing to these like and it was one of the it was one of those times where you saw like the acting side of the stunts like where yeah. it's like he could fall down in a funny way or get in a fight in a funny way like where it kept it kept the character throughout i mean some of those stunts like the scene the scene in the in the i think it's like a mall or something but like where he jumps into the lights and slides mm-hmm. down i was like how do you do this and not die <laughs> which i guess I, is the the sign of a good stunt yeah, we say if you can do it once, it's an accident. If you can do it five times, it's a stunt. So if you have to be able to do it five times in a row. You have to repeat it to be yeah. a stunt. Because the camera guy might miss it. You have to do two other angles. You have to be able to do it multiple times at the same exact feel to be a, a stunt. But, yeah, that, so his, like you were saying, like that acting pieces. So there are guys who are world-class martial artists. Mm-hmm. They do all this wushu and all this awesome stuff. They don't have the the beats in between the oh 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 yeah. um, the facial expressions and the the energy in between punches just it pulls you out. Mm. It's a really special gift of acting while you're fighting and while you're doing stunts to keep that energy up. That again, guys like Sam Margrave and, and Brad Allen and these yeah. other guys have really really perfected. I think, and that's why these you'll see like a great fight guy. And you'll see a fight, and like, oh, and then the average mm-hmm. fight guy do that same fight, just have the beach in between, and oh, yeah. just the right amount of energy, and it's a man that brings it brings it to life, and that's definitely acting and all that. Well, I'm gonna slip in one question before I ask you the last question. I ask everybody, what do you think is the greatest stunt of all time? Oh man, the easy answer, well, there's two, I think. Again, because now we define the stunt as how many times you can do it. Some of these were mm-hmm. back in the 80s where they did it and they lived. Like, oh, I'm not doing that again. So we would call that kind of a not a stunt nowadays because it's not as as perfected. But uh, the one where Charlie Sheen jumps off the bridge in the Navy SEALs movie back in mm-hmm. the 80s. I can't remember who did it. Maybe it was, I can't remember who did that stunt. But they literally just drive the car off a bridge. The guy jumps out of the car and 
uh, 100 feet into the water. But a high fall from Bob, I'm blanking on names today, best high fall guy in the world. Uh, anyway, I can't remember who it was, but he had to go out of a helicopter, like 100 feet to an airbag on the roof of a skyscraper. Hmm. And wind blowing, and I mean, it's, and he did it twice. And then the story I heard, he pushed off a little too hard, and I missed him dead. Caught the edge of it and barely hang on to the side of the building, not the side of the building, but hang on and didn't die. Had to do it again. Jeez. And then nailed it perfectly right in the middle of the airbag. But uh, a free fall helicopter, which is always variables, never completely consistent, to the top of a building where your safety is no longer outside this building. Right. That was, that was, and then a lot of the horse stuff the guys did, like Terry Leonard and all these, like jumping the horse off the waterfall and some of these things. So a lot of those old school stunts are pretty, pretty awesome. They would never allow, allow us to do it anymore. So that's why I think it's awesome because it won't pass the insurance test and we can do them safer now. And right. green screen, we cut it up two different shots and have the same effect. So a lot of it has been dialed back, but those are pretty, pretty gnarly impressive ones what's the best piece of advice you would give to an aspiring filmmaker who is listening to this put yourself out there don't stop putting yourself out there in different ways don't get too pigeonholed like uh, i listened to a podcast you did with someone who's i think a set designer or something and she wanted to be a writer or a screenwriter and then she found set designer i have a buddy who wanted to be a writer and now he's an actor and the TV show Ghosts and all these other things. So know you want to be involved in it. Know what you're good at and keep putting yourself out there in every other, every possible way. Talk to people, immerse yourself in the culture that is Hollywood, well, Hollywood in, in the movies, TV. You might find your niche in, in video games. There's writing and stunts and stuff in there. You might find your niche in TV shows and movies and, and streaming stuff or behind the camera, in front of the camera. Put yourself out there over and over and over again. Immerse yourself in the in the in the community in the world that is the, the Hollywood, for lack of a better word, and be okay to divert a little bit to you know use what you're good at to get to where you want to go, and then really you know just keep. It's, it happens overnight sometimes, and that's a get rich quick. I went to an audition, and now I'm you know, Tom Cruise. Get that out of your head. It's a grind. You know, have passion for the grind. And in your eyes open in all directions of where to take it. Yeah. Love that. Love that advice. Do you think Tom Cruise is the stunt man? Or do you think yeah, he's I know. doing what he's doing? <laughs> <laughs> he, he's uh, I get in trouble for this by his team, probably. But I've never worked with him closely, personally. But all my friends have worked a lot of movies with him. He treats his stunt team great. He's great to him. He, the budgets are huge. He's in the dojo with him. He's dialing in how to do that. What should we do here? He's one of the guys in that stunt world. But like the movie, he did the plane scene. Oh, his stunt oh, double, Night and Day. Night and Day. His, oh, Night and Day. Is that the one with the, the bullets, oh, too? Oh, Mission Boss uh, where he's on the side? Yeah, side of the plane, yeah. yeah, yeah. Any, any one of Which plane scene does. with Tom Cruise? Right? <laughs> <laughs> how much time we got? So he, I know the stunt team choreographed that Dial it in, practice it, took every variable off the table as much as it can. The stunt double out. They're like, ah, that was a little too much wind for. I don't know if Tom would like that. Let's dial this back. Let's dial that back. And they worked tirelessly to make that as comfortable for Tom as you could, as you could do. Now Tom goes for it, balls are while I'm doing it, and gets in there. Well, this has been done a hundred times before. It's been tested. It's been optimized to make sure he's comfortable in it. But he does go for it. He does do it. If he was not an actor and was a stuntman, he'd be great. He's full on. He has a mentality behind it. How should we do this? What's the best way to do this? He'll hit the ground. He's committed to that world and treats everybody great and then denies that they exist. Now, some people are like, that's fine. Give me the money and whatever. whatever. So yeah. it's, You're not it's stealing work to, from him. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't, he treats people great and pays them great and gives them the budget. And that's why all those movies are badass in the stunts. And then he just says that oh, they don't really exist back there. And never like, yeah, fine with her. You have yeah. to be okay with that. So right. yeah, it's not all negative with him. He does really care and help and, and facilitate the stunt department in his movies, even though he says that they don't exist. Yeah. 
Well, I killed my own natural close to the episode by throwing in that bonus uh, question. But <laughs> thanks for. I was curious your perspective on that as a stunt person, like yeah. when you see an actor doing their own stunts, you know, which obviously there's a team behind making it possible. But, but man, I, I could talk all day seriously about this stuff. I love, I love getting these kind of inside baseball stories, no pun intended. And, and I really appreciate you doing this, taking the time to share your story, both on the podcast and through your book and all the different ways you're sharing it. And for all the, I mean, Everybody listening to this has probably seen you way more than they realize, myself included. And sure. so, uh, <laughs> thanks again so much for for your work and your career and look forward to seeing what you do next. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Film School Podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, don't forget to leave a five-star review and hit subscribe so you won't miss a single episode.